week 66 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast. And across this country, Trump-loving governors have made their constituents sick. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens have the obligation to shape the debates of our time, not only with the votes we cast, but with the voices we lift. The people are looking for honest answers, not easy answers. The very word secrecy is repugnant. Clear leadership. And we are as a people. Not false claims and evasiveness and politics as usual. Opposed to secret society. But ours was a nation of the ballots, not the bullet. And a secret procedure. As a people, we cannot afford to let any group of citizens or any individual citizens live or labor under conditions which are injurious to the commonwealth. Black, white, Latino, Asian, Native American, young, old, gay, straight, men, women, folks with disabilities, all pledging allegiance under the same proud flag to this big, bold country that we love. That's what I see. That's the America I know. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. There is nothing wrong with America that cannot be cured by what is right with America. Yeah, no plan, only pain. That seems to be the philosophy for this president and his ridiculous administration. I don't know if any of you watched Betsy DeVos yesterday on the Sunday programs. I don't know how you could have missed it. I mean, it was a flaming train wreck of an interview, not only on CNN and but also on Fox News Sunday, which is increasingly doing a pretty good job at exposing some of these administration officials for what they are. I mean, they're just incompetent fools, and she she takes the cake. She's out there, you know, pushing the president's open the schools now policy. Now, I, I, I don't know if I should call it a policy because there's no policy there. It's a demand. Open the schools now. And some Trumpy governors across this country are going to do exactly what the president says, just like they have done throughout this crisis, which is why you see 15,000 cases on Sunday, 12,000 cases on Monday in the state of Florida, and tens of thousands of cases in, in, in Texas and Arizona and across the South, because these Trumpy governors just decided to open because the president said open. And in the case of Florida, they're demanding that their schools open. Because the president says open the schools. Now, he doesn't want the schools open because he cares about kids. Let's be let's be very clear. I, I would love to see schools open. I'm in New York. New York seems to have it under control for now. I'm under no delusion that it will not come back here. I think it will. I would love to see my kids go back to school in September. Um, but I am concerned. I am gravely concerned that we are going to be back in the same place we were in March and April here in New York uh, sometime in October. And what happens then? Um, But it's these Trump governors who are just marching to his beat. I mean, Ron DeSantis is going to force kids back to school, going to get kids and teachers sick with this virus. It's going to be a super spreader event in Florida. And the only reason he's doing it is because Donald Trump is concerned about losing the state of Florida. I got news for you, Mr. President. Um, If Florida has a super spreader because people go back to school and they start school like late August in Florida, you're going to lose Florida even worse than your polling, right? He's down five or six points in Florida, depending on who you believe, what poll you believe. But, you know, 
open the schools and have things spread, it's going to be all blamed on you. There's no plan. The president isn't offering guidance. The CDC has very strict guidance, right? Very strict guidance, six feet separation, um, face coverings, maybe teachers behind plexiglass, all sorts of, of, of rules that are going to be very hard for most districts around this country to enforce. In fact, uh, Fairfield County, Virginia's superintendent of schools was on uh, the Sunday programs on uh, CNN State of the Union yesterday and said he would have to build the equivalent of five pentagons between now and when schools open in late August in Virginia for them to comply with the CDC guidelines. Or they're going to have to do something, you know, extraordinary like have some sort of uh, hybrid where some kids come in some days and some kids come in the other days. I I, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they're going to do it uh, in that state. But the president says, you know, forget the CDC guidelines. They're too tough. They're too tough. We're going to fix them. We're going to get different guidelines. We're going to change those guidelines. We're going to make it so uh, that uh, it doesn't really matter because he doesn't care if kids and teachers get sick. He really doesn't care if teachers get sick because he doesn't think they're voting for him. Um, he doesn't care if teachers get sick. And by the way, if you're like in a state that's a swing state and you have a teacher friend that might be voting Trump, make sure you point out that, that he doesn't care if they live or die, especially if they're over the age of, say, 60. He doesn't care if they live or die. He cares about his reelection. And if the kids are not back in school in Florida, then he's probably not going to get reelected. But I'm telling you right now, Mr. President, it's going to be worse if they go back to school and COVID-19 gets worse in Florida and hospitals start getting overrun and cases continue to climb. Florida is rapidly catching up to New York. In fact, their 15,000 cases that they reported on Sunday is far and away the highest number of cases any state, New York, California, whatever, have reported during this entire crisis, even at their peaks. Mr. President, you have no plan. You have demands. There's no money behind those demands. There's no strict guidelines. This, this education secretary, if she wanted schools to open, when this crisis hit back in March and schools were forced to shut down, she should have been talking to superintendents and big thinkers in the education industry across this country, convening them to talk about best practices and think about what has worked, examining what's working around the world as other countries start to reopen and start to bring their kids back to school, and then trying to come up with a plan that would work here in the United States of America, where we have you know thousands of school districts, I mean, tens of thousands of school districts that are individually run. I'm in New York. I'm on Long Island. I think there are about 250 school districts just in Nassau and Suffolk County. The city of New York is one big school district, but here on Long Island, we have multiple school districts. I mean, you can't throw a stone and hit another school district wherever you're standing on Long Island. What works? What doesn't work? They didn't do any of that. They're just complaining. And she's trying to use this to put some school voucher program in place because what does she know about school? She's a privileged, inherited wealth Second generation of of rich, if, I mean, I don't even, I don't even know how to describe her. Right, this is a woman who's never had to work a day in her life. Probably went to private schools her entire life. Never had to, never had any risk in her life. Public schools are very important, and they're very important to me. 
Okay, I went to a public school, Center Reach High School. I went to a public university, the University of Albany, where I got my degree. I went to a Catholic law school, but you know, law school's different. But those public, that public education prepared me for life, made me who I am today. And to see it under attack by someone who knows nothing of struggle, knows nothing of what it takes to better yourself and to climb out of something. Somebody who bought a job as secretary of education, but somehow didn't read the manual that came with that job, doesn't even know what the job entails. Go out there and say, you know what, we're going to take money away from public schools and we're going to give it to kids, uh, to parents who want to send their kids to private, mostly religious institutions. That just bothers me. By the way, those institutions aren't opening either, Betsy, for the record, in most states that are having these issues, okay? You know, I, I don't think that if public schools decide to close down in Miami-Dade County, County in Florida, you're going to see the Catholic schools open. Because, you know, the Catholic Church has kind of figured this out and said, you know what, we've got to do everything we can to save lives in America. Everything else be damned. Now, I know the president doesn't care about that. If the president really cared about saving lives and preserving health in this country and getting the economy going again, he would have followed the same steps that Europe took. We would have flattened the curve dramatically in this country and we would be starting to open up. We would have followed the steps they took in New Zealand. New Zealand on Sunday declared that COVID-19 is gone from New Zealand and everything is open up as if it was never there. Now, I'm sure they have some strict guidelines about people coming in and out of that country, and it is an island nation and it's small. But that said, they took it seriously. They locked down dramatically, and it's over now there. It's not over here because we had a president who got bored of the lockdown, saw the economy falling, saw his poll numbers falling, and decided it was time to open up. And unfortunately, there are many Republican governors who are so afraid of being primaried and are so Trumpy in their thinking that they blindly followed his orders and now their states, particularly you, Florida and Texas, Greg Abbott, Ron DeSantis, are being ravaged and didn't have to be that way. And you know what? As a New Yorker, I am disgusted with them because I know we live in a country where states do not have gates and fences to keep people out. That disease is going to come here. It's going to, all the sacrifice we did in New York, all the businesses, all the restaurants that have closed, all the jobs that have been lost, all the education that has been missed, all the sporting events, soccer games that we that we canceled because of this virus, they're coming back here. We're going to have to go through it again in this state and in the tri-state region where we effectively did what we needed to do to beat the virus, we're going to have to go through it again because Trump, period. It's because of him. He's a failure. He's got no plan, only pain. Do what I say, do it now. Do what I say and do it now. I am not in this for you. I'm in this for me. This is a guy who constantly is reminding us that he feels this is happening to him. It's happening to him. I think it's happening to us. Tell that to the people on life support in Florida right now or New York, California, anywhere in this country. 
Tell that to the scared person who just lost their job and don't know how they're going to feed their family or pay their mortgage. Tell them that this is happening to you, Mr. President. Tell them, Mr. President, who lives in a testing bubble, who just this weekend put a mask on for the first time. Oh, everybody's praising him for putting a mask on. Chris Rock had a great joke in his great stand-up special, Bigger and Blacker, where he's talking about people who say, I take care of my kids. Well, you're supposed to take care of your kids. Mr. President, you were supposed to put a mask on when the CDC started recommending people wear masks back in March. Instead, you made it a political statement not to wear masks. Another reason why Texas and Florida and Arizona are having major outbreaks of COVID-19. Because of you. Tulsa had an outbreak of COVID-19 after the president's super spreader rally. Could you imagine if 16,000 people showed up like they thought or 19,000? Thank God only 6,000 people showed up. He canceled his event on Sunday in New Hampshire. He tried to blame it on the storm, which was long gone by the time the event would happen. No, it was canceled because nobody was going. We're looking at polls. There was a poll on Monday morning that had the president down five points in Texas. There's a poll that came out over the weekend that had the president only up three points in Alaska and under 50%. He was at 46%. It was 46 to 43 in Alaska. I got news for you. If Alaska's in play and and Trump is down in Texas, we could be looking at a Reagan v. Mondale type election in this country. Now, I don't, I don't think that there's a chance we win 50 states, but I think 40 is not out of the question. I mean, if Alaska's in play, if he's losing Texas, if I'm seeing points where, you know, polls where he's only up like three or four in Indiana, I I think people are waking up to his complete and total failure. As we said last week, the guy has been fact-checked by God lately, so it's not like you could just turn on your favorite conservative media outlet and get the news that you want and then live in a bubble of that news when your neighbor has COVID-19 and your cousin died of COVID-19 and your job is shut down because of COVID-19 and the economy's not getting better. We're not seeing that V-shaped recovery that he promised. And it's all because he didn't have a plan or look, there was a plan. It was left to him by Obama. Page nine of the uh, pandemic response plan mentions COVIDs, coronaviruses. I, you know, he could have read that. He could have implemented. He could have listened to the advice of his own doctors. He could have listened to the advice of his own advisors back in January when they were warning about this. We are still hearing that states lack proper PPE. It is July. It's July. You know, um, you might have heard the interview with Ron Christie last week where I talked about 9-11 and I worked for Chuck Schumer on 9-11 and Chuck Schumer went to the White House shortly after 9-11 to meet with President Bush. President Bush said, what do you need? Chuck Schumer said $20 billion. Bush said, done. Contrast that with this president saying, I am not a shipping clerk. That's all you need to know. To be a leader is to be a servant. This man does not know what it means to be a servant. He's had servants his entire life washing his golf clubs 
which he has played, I think, 250 rounds of golf in the three years he's been president. Compare that to the 90 rounds of golf Obama played. And by the way, Obama never went to a golf course he owned and then charged the Secret Service to rent golf course, golf carts, and, and to really close the course down for the day. Obama never did that. Obama never profited by paying golf. It's estimated that the president's golfing has cost Americans $150 million since he's been president. $150 million. Yet we don't have proper PPE. We have bacon. You know, he ordered the meatpacking plants to stay open. But, uh, you know, PPE? No, he didn't do that. We don't have that. That we don't have. It's pathetic. It's absolutely pathetic. Guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. I've got a great guest today, Margaret Hoover. Uh, she's been on before. Uh, she's the host of PBS's Firing Line. Check your local PBS stations for time and schedule, but it's on in New York uh, on PBS on Friday nights. I believe it's 730. Um, definitely check her out at Margaret Hoover on Twitter. I'll be tweeting her out. I also appreciate you following me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn and tweet at me if you like the podcast, if you got some ideas or go to ChristopherHahn.com to uh there's a link there to an email address which i do answer so uh check that out all right hang out margaret hoover is a great guest and then i'll be back to wrap it up uh margaret hoover she is the host of firing line with margaret hoover on pbs check your local listings great show in-depth interviews she's got uh former uh national security advisor john bolton this week and she's look if they're big in the news margaret is interviewing them how are you margaret Good. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great to be back. I really appreciate you joining me tonight. And how have you been holding up during this quarantine? I know that you and your husband live in Manhattan with your two kids. Uh, or did you we, stay? We lived in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. I mean, we we haven't. We left Manhattan uh, in the middle of March. We have this um, little place on Long Island that we come to on the weekends, and have been decamped out here in Long Island for um, since the middle of March. I should have had uh, you come in studio. I'm, I'm taping this show in my studio on, on Long Island. I didn't even realize you were out. He's like, hey, come on yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're probably neighbors. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, we, we, should, we should hash out our deeds later. Um, yeah, no, it's, I actually, it's been wonderful in Long Island. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's just sort of been this extended vacation. We did take a quick trip down to South Carolina Yep. see my husband's parents who live in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, we went right before things started opening up up here and before things got kind of severe and increase, you know, the increasing right. cases of COVID down there. So we just barely, like by a week or two weeks, missed the reverse quarantine that would have been in- imposed upon us by our governor from people returning from the South. Are you doing firing line from, from Long Island or are you going into the I city? I am. If you turn in, okay, so it's at... So in Long Island, uh, you can get it on Channel 13, WNET, yep. at 8.30 p.m. on Friday. So that's this show, by the way, airs coast to coast. I'm on in 15 cities. So Long Island is my wow. live flagship market, but we are all so, over the country. Well, check your local listings. So Firing Line is also on your local PBS affiliate, uh, mostly on Friday nights, but it's like central time zones more tends to be 7.30. Right. Um, 
And it's it's my living room. If you want to see where I've been camping out for, <laughs> for three months, four months, oh, I, I literally I sit on my coffee table and I have the camera, the you know my laptop up on a nice. three reams of paper and a bookshelf in the background because that seems what everybody seems to be yep. doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's it's been actually wonderful. It's totally chaotic with a four year old and a six year old, and a husband that also works. Um, yep. But it's. It's also been like wonderful. It turns uh, out that it, it turns out I was set up for COVID-19 long before COVID-19 because I'm already on Long Island and I have a full TV production studio in my basement. For some reason, I never, you know, did the uh, took the plunge and, and did a radio studio in my house, but they put a TV studio in my house. So I've been every time you see me on Fox forever, I've been in my basement for like the last six are you years. Serious? Yeah, 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 four you years. COVID. You are, you have real, so what's coming next? I don't know. I just didn't like going into the, I had a, I had a regular hit on Saturday night on Fox. And I told them I didn't want to do it anymore because I didn't feel like ruining my whole Saturday to do four minutes of television anymore. And they figured out a way to get a studio in my house and they did. It's, it's pretty awesome. Actually, it's, wow. it's, it's, the it's, lesson is learn how to say no. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about where we are as a country right now. I, I, I was asking you off the air, you know, you you are one of the Republicans who I used to debate on Fox, but it was never really a harsh debate. We agreed probably more than we disagreed. We still do, I'm sure. Um, Trump has brought us more, even closer together, hasn't he? Yeah, he sure has. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm interested. Like, I, 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 I've had a lot of principled uh, Republicans on my show the last couple of weeks, most of whom seem pretty much disgusted with the president and, and the party to a great extent, because most, at least the elected people in, in, in Congress have gone along with him with few exceptions like Mitt Romney. Uh, I would love for you to tell my my listeners, you know, your point of view right now on, on where we are, where the Republican Party are, is and where you are. Margaret Hoover, one of the great TV analysts. You know, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I had John Bolton, Ambassador Bolton, who is the National Security Advisor, as we all know, to Donald Trump on the yep. program. You can watch it on Friday. And you know, he says, you know, he did this long hemming and hawing, you know, as though like his 17 months as which is the longest stint that anybody has served as national security advisor to Donald Trump. And by the way, he's had four of them, Yep. Uh, which is, you know, pretty impressive. It, it, it's, it's insane. That's what it is. Yeah, it, it is. And, and Bolton is very, let me, let me just tell you, Bolton's book is 520 pages, 22 pages, fastidiously annotated. Yep. He takes extraordinary notes and it paints extraordinarily detailed and damning portrait of this presidency and the president and how he's, how he's running the government. And there's just no way as any individual would try to go about discrediting Bolton uh, that they can discredit the veracity of his accounts. First right. of all, they track with everything we ha- that has been reported so far. They are fully consistent. They add more detail and color, some of it quite damning. Uh, and, you know, Bolton, you know, I have a few beefs with Bolton myself, frankly. I mean, I think ultimately it's that, you know, he believes that this man, as he says on my show, which I'm going to give you a teaser, on Friday he says he is unfit to continue being president of the United States. And he is a threat to the country. We cannot, yeah. he says, we cannot have another term. I don't think we could have another month of this guy, frankly. I think it's, this is this is getting out of hand, actually. So Bolton says all these things, and, and so my real question to him is then, why are you writing a book? Shouldn't you be doing more? Like, mm. if you really believe our country cannot sustain another four years, 
are all you all your all, the best you've got is a book? Yeah, what are you doing? Like, right? What are you What are you doing? Right? And because because what what I do think this does is it, it he can never really fully credibly to me answer this question about um, you know the, <laughs> the the question about like you know the book was about the big bucks you know two million dollar advance isn't nothing for somebody who's been in government their whole life right and you know and so that's the piece that I just feel like he um, I, I pose to him I challenge him and. Ultimately, I think he, he has a hard time answering it. But I will tell you, to your question, this is a long walk for a short drink. Yeah, how ahead. am I thinking about the Republican Party? I asked him, I said, how is the Republican Party, you know, what he says, the Republican Party has a lot of soul searching to do after Trump. Yeah. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? The Republican Party, if they didn't understand, you know, in 2016 that they had soul searching to do, this man was going to be our nominee. I mean, we the the um, the picture was already set. It has it has filled in in yeah. terms of you know. But but he has not changed fundamentally who he has been ever. And uh, and, and so look, I, I I'm quite worried about the party. I don't know how it you know comes back. Um, but I'm also unwilling as as somebody who has believed in a certain set of ideas. Um, if you want to you know dramatically overstate them or oversimplify them. Um, you know, sort of smaller and more local government, uh, you know, the government that does less does more, Um, a government that emphasizes individual freedom and free markets. I mean, you know, like these are shorthand expressions for sort of some of the guiding principles that I believe in. I'm also, you know, (laughs) far more fiscally consistent than any Republican in Washington right now, I think. Right. Um, And none of those ideas, uh, are embodied by this president or this Republican Party, but they are ideas that are valid and they're ideas that drew me to the party. And so I'm unwilling to say that one man who can come into the presidency can unravel, you know, a tradition and a set of ideas uh, right. forever. Now, no, now, maybe but, he but maybe he, and maybe he does. But what he has right now is a 90 percent approval among registered Republicans. And that is that in and of itself presents a problem to people like you who are principled in your philosophy that now you're part of yeah. a party that, you know, all but 10 percent of is just yeah. lock, and stock I, and, and bowel. I don't support those people who support him and I don't support the ideas they support. And I don't. And so I, I'm I'm a, I'm I consider myself an exile. Like I'm a, like I'm in, you know, like I'm I've been exiled from this party and this experience for this time because I'm, I'm not part of it. I'm not playing in it. I'm not, you know, helping it. Um, in any way, and I continue to espouse, you know, to the extent that I can, and I right. do on my program, uh, the ideas that I believe in that I think the party should believe in. Um, but I, I'm like a Lincoln Project Republican. There you right? go. Like, Margaret Hoover, host of PBS's Firing Line, friend of mine. We met back in the foxholes of Fox back in the day. Used to love debating Margaret, although they were never harsh debates because you and I, like I said, we always pretty much agreed. We might have had, we both wanted to solve problems. We just had different ways of solving them. So it was always a very friendly debate. Yes, it was a friendly debate. I mean, I look, I always respected you because you were smart, you were quick on your feet, and you were honest. And look, like, you know, this is... <laughs> Chris, if you and I can do it, why can't they do it? I, I don't know. But this is the question I have for you, though. You know, we were talking about, you know, the Republican Party and 90% support for Trump. and But there are people like you... Um, and people like John Bolton, like John Bolton says he's not going to vote for Trump, but he's not going to vote for Biden, but he lives in New York or DC. So it doesn't really matter. I know John Bolton too. I used to do Virginia. Yeah. You know, it does matter. I mean, it's, 
it's probably going to go blue, but yeah, it could matter in Virginia. I doubt it, but it could. Um, it's it's you know to me, there's really only one option, right? You, you either vote for Trump or you vote for Biden. If you don't vote for Biden, you're really helping Trump. Um, well, and so that's what that's his argument. His argument is, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help Trump by voting for him. I'll just vote for somebody else. That's one less vote than Trump would have gotten. Listen, he's a little bit hypocritical here. Yeah, and I asked him about it on the program, his program that. Did I mention airs on Friday night at 7.30 or 8.30? What a great show. Did I mention it? It's one of my favorite shows that I watch on Friday night. I watch that and Bill Maher. And I especially like Bill Maher when you or your husband, John Avalon, are on it. Two of my favorite guests on Bill Maher. Go ahead. Oh, you're the best. You're the best. But listen, I asked Bolton because Bolton said, look, in 2016, it's a binary choice. You may not like Donald Trump. Right. But you definitely don't like Hillary Clinton. This is, you know, John, John, John Bolton, as he would speak to conservatives or Republicans. Uh, and so it's a binary choice. you got to pick one. you got to pick Trump. That was the only choice from his perspective. So now he's going to not vote for Biden and not vote for Trump. He's going to write in. So I right. asked him, like, why is 2020 not a binary choice? And 2016 was. And he says, well, he was wrong. <laughs> and it's like, really? Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. See who this guy is? I got to know him, right? I used to do Red Eye with him. You remember that show, Red Eye, on Fox News? It was a fun show. I remember it was Greg Gutfeld. Yeah. Fun show. Used to do it with, I've done, I did it with Bolton twice. I've done a lot of shows with Bolton, but that's the only show that I sat on a set with him for an hour right next to him, having real conversations with him as a real person, not like Green Room. Well, you tell me, what was the profile? So I still look, I think his politics is crazy. Okay. I think his, his view of, of, of foreign policy is just bizarre, but it does, it is his view. And he's been consistent on that view for 30 years. I remember working for Senator Chuck Schumer and making sure he didn't become ambassador to the United Nations. I mean, I remember that like it was yesterday. Um, and, and, and the reasons why, and I, I still agree that we were right in trying to stop him from being that role. But that said, I never thought John Bolton was a liar. I never thought John yeah. Bolton was a guy who I couldn't trust his, you know, that he was telling me the truth about something. So he right. didn't he didn't lie about his foreign policy. He, we just disagreed with his foreign policy. And so, you know, I, I don't understand why he's saying that that's the one thing that's really bothering me. Like, what are you going to do? It's not a it is a binary choice. We you know we live in a, in a, in a system that requires a two party system. It, other parties can't flourish because of the way we are. Our, our Constitution is basically set up it's not in the Constitution, but it is a result of our Constitution. So I, I don't I don't get his his uh, his view right here. And well, I just I mean, well, here, let me let me do the shorthand for you. The truth of the matter is John Bolton is an ideologue. He believes a certain set of ideas, and he believes that as national security advisor, he could guide a, an uneducated, factually untethered president towards the direction of his views and his beliefs. Right. And to a large degree, especially at the beginning, he was quite successful in that, pulling out of the Iran deal, um, frankly, teeing us up to actually target Iranian, like, bomb and attack Iranian targets in retaliation for aggressive actions by Iranian uh, um, emissaries in the Persian Gulf right. uh, back in uh, May of 20, April or May of 2019, um, right? Remember that moment where we were all, 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 yeah, all we almost went to law, we almost went to war and, and he was there. <laughs> that was a bold action. Yeah, I mean, that was a bold action. So, so, I mean, here's a guy who gained part of the Trump administration believing that he could influence the president. And by the way, he had some successes. He actually helped persuade President Trump not to pull out of NATO. Right. right. Like, 
the last person in Trump's ear before he spoke at NATO about whether the United States was going to pull out or not, as he had tweeted and threatened all the weeks leading up to that NATO summit, was that he didn't do it. Yeah. He ended up not doing it. It was John Bolton who said, go right up to the line, but then don't do it. And he says in his book, the reason, the way he was able to persuade the president to do what he viewed was the right thing was to make an argument that actually had nothing to do with NATO at all. Right. He said, the Kavanaugh hearings will blow up. And if, <laughs> if you, you can't afford to lose your Republican support if you want to get Kavanaugh through. Wow. So don't do that. I wonder so how right he feels about that now that Kavanaugh has voted against him twice. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we have to get to the Supremes. But here's the deal. I mean, the shorthand for John Bolton is a guy who wants to get in. He wants to persuade the president towards his own ideology. When he runs out of juice because he can't do that anymore, he leaves. Yeah. And then he writes a book. And he says in the book that all the things that liberals are salivating to hear, right? I mean, I know you love to hear the president's incompetent. The president has no morals. Right. Has all things. I know, you know that, what? though. <laughs> but you know what? Yeah, it's not new. Right. And if you really believe he is a threat to the continuation of the republic and cannot have another term, you got to do more than just write a book. I, I mean, if you really believed that while you were there, you needed to walk, to quit, walk out to the lawn, address the national media assembled there, and say, say it then. You know, or I, how about... Or how about, you know, Congress, how about or how about volunteer to testify during impeachment? Right, right. Volunteer right. to testify right. during impeachment. You know, right. you don't need to get subpoenaed. This guy is a threat to the republic. You think the Democrats are going around it? What? You're going to let Adam Schiff keep you from doing the right thing for the country if you really believe right. he's an existential threat? Right. You're going to let Adam Schiff and the Democrats politics stop you? So that's. That's, you know, that's kind of where we go with him. Or, you know, he didn't even need to testify to Congress. Like, he could have done an interview on 60 Minutes or gone on your show or come on my show, for that matter, and just told what he knew during the hearings. And it would have blown everything out of, it would have blown everything up, in my opinion, because he's a conservative's conservative, right? It's hard to say that this guy who Trump plucked from Fox News, who Democrats blocked from becoming ambassador to the United Nations, who's been a conservative mainstay for 30 years, really. Um, you know, it's yeah. hard to, for, for them to argue that this guy wasn't telling the truth, that he's some wishy-washy liberal like, you know, like anybody else you could have picked. Right. It's ins- Right. So that's, you know, precisely, precisely. So, look, I mean, John Bolton has his own agenda, um, but the, the president, let's talk about the Supreme Court. Yeah. So... What are Republicans to do then? You know, we had this long conversation about John Bolton and his hypocrisy, really. Seems to me like you're going to vote for Biden. Um, Should good Republicans who are part of that 10 percent that just don't like what this guy's doing, should they just leave the party or should they just vote for Biden and try to fix the party? Look, I I don't know if the party is fixable. We're just going to have to see. But I'm going to try. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do my part, you know, from the outside, I try to do my part right now. And, you know, look, there might be an opening. These Supreme Court decisions that have come down today, Chris, I mean, you're the lawyer. You're the one who's, you know, spent, spent all the time reviewing these constitutional cases over time. You know, the idea that these are 7-2 decisions Mm. where Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, and Roberts, the last three big Republican appointments, with the exception of Alito, of course, uh, are, are the ones that have helped create this consensus. It is absolutely rocking the conservative universe yeah. in a bad way, in yeah. a bad way. Let me just tell you, every conservative donor 
has bought into the line that it's all about, like, they may hate Trump. And by the way, most of those 90% of Republicans that support Trump don't like Trump. Right. But it's all about the judges. It's like, mm. it's like 80% about the judges and then like, you know, 20% about the economy, you know, whatever it is that, you know, but now they have lost, I mean, Republicans and conservatives and movement conservatives have really, they're, they're up in arms because they're looking at each other going, hold on, I thought we were doing this for the judges. And then they're seeing the judges not go the way they were promised. Yeah. So if you're a mainstream sort of, you're in the conservative Trump camp now, and, and by the way, that does seem oxymoronical to me because Trump is not a conservative. No, I don't know what he is. He's a Trump. Right? He's got, there's no ideology there. It's like, it's like the line from Hamilton, when all is said and all is done, uh, Pence has beliefs, Trump has none. I mean, I don't know. Totally, totally. Right. I, you know, so, you know, conservatives are up in arms. So, you know, look, they're, they're, I hope, I hope to God, there's a reckoning afterwards. But uh, the the these court cases and the judges and and the way that they're going repeatedly um, is is also going to tamp down the motivation and the energy uh, of conservatives to be able to rally their people to the to the to the polls. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you see in all the polls that there's a disparity. There's a a, a real enthusiasm gap on Biden's side. Right. When you take his hardcore supporters versus Trump's hardcore supporters. Um, But there are, you know, increasing increasingly data points that suggest the hardcore conservatives will also have dampened enthusiasm. Well, there is a enthusiasm for Biden, but there's a huge enthusiasm against Trump, which is going to help Biden. Right. I mean, it's just it's just the way it works. I mean, the Democratic Party is going to have its own sort of reckoning at some point right now. uh, All of the factions within the party are united to get rid of Donald Trump. Now, once Donald Trump is gone and the Democrats probably will be very hard to manage that. Yeah. Well, Democrats are going to probably control everything. When Donald Trump's, I, I don't see the Republicans holding on to the Senate. I don't see them holding on, get, picking up seats in the House. I would imagine they'll pick up state houses this year, Democrats. I, I think it's going to be a bloodbath year. I agree with the Cook political report. I don't even think that 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 the numbers have even started to show up yet, given the given the direction that this virus is going in this country and the lack of leadership. Forget about like what you think about Trump. He hasn't led. Uh, mm-hmm. And people, it, it's hard, you know, like last week, um, uh, Philippe Brains was on my show and he, he gave me the line, fact checked by God. Donald Trump could say whatever he wants, but for the last, you know, year, he's been fact checked by God. People are, t- people are dying. They're getting COVID-19. Schools probably won't open everywhere. And it's mm-hmm. going to drive people crazy and it's going to drive him out of office and it's going to drive a lot of Republicans with him. I don't know if it's going to drive him out of office. I mean, I just think I... Look, there there are certainly trend lines that are terrifying if you're a Republican consultant or a Republican pollster. Um, but it's also still a long way away. Today's July 9th. Yep. You know, July 9th, Donald Trump was trailing Hillary Clinton, too. You, Not you know, by there, 10. <laughs> it's true. No, that's true. Yeah. No, fair point. And, and there weren't 25 million people unemployed. And there wasn't, you know, a second wave. And, and, and she was Hillary Clinton. But let's also be clear. She was Hillary Clinton, who people had a defined opinion of prior to Donald Trump getting into the race. So it was easy for Donald Trump to play on that opinion. He still hasn't really settled on a message about Biden. I mean, he, he well, every wa- time he's tried, it's just gotten blown up, right? Like, remember, we were running against socialism because, of, of course, it was going to be Bernie Sanders. Right, right. We've been running against socialism for a year. And then oh, Donald man, Trump enacted socialism. <laughs> yeah, like- well, and, and also, like, 
Joe Biden is the furthest thing from a socialist. Like, right. just like, you know, you just, so you can't do that. You can't, you know, I actually think, you know, Joe Biden's so weak on China, you can't do that. Well, it turns out Donald Trump gave Xi Jinping permission to put millions of Uyghurs in concentration camps. Yeah. And, and, and listen to him during the, the beginning of this crisis. I mean, praised him until March 10th. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, is, is completely inured and impressed by authoritarian leaders, yep. most especially Xi Jinping. Yep. So I guess Donald Trump's not that tough on China. So now they need a new message. And it's just like the whole thing reeks of a guy who's lost the plot. Yep. Like, yep. He, it's like he's been bucked off the horse and he just can't get back on and he's trying everything and, and it's not working and it, it's looking pretty desperate. And by the way, calling him Sleepy Joe, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think people want Sleepy Joe right now. I don't think people want to wake up to the latest presidential tweet. I mean, I wasn't offended when Trump called me Schumerite Chris Hahn in a tweet. It made me feel happy because I am a Schumerite. Well, it's like people know Joe Biden. Like, we know Joe. You know Joe Biden. Yep. There's like some comfort into just knowing who he is and knowing what you can expect and knowing what you're going to get. And even if it is a little boring yeah. or a little predictable, like, that's actually the antidote to this. Don't you think that boring that, and predictable is what everybody wants right now? Yeah, and, and by the way, like, you know, the markets want predictability. Oh, yeah. The American people, like, a lot of people want predictability. But, um, <laughs> and people want, like, you know, somebody to be civil and, you know, and compassionate. So it, it does kind of, you know, Joe Biden might back himself into the presidency. It's like the least expected thing possible. Um, four years ago, you never, ever would have thought that no. he would have lost and Joe Biden would be the, the nominee, the sort of walkaway nominee. And, but, but this is this is. This is why you can't write a better script. Yeah, this is the world we're living in. Margaret, I am almost out of time with you. I want to give you some plugs. We have to make sure that we all check out Firing Line Friday nights on PBS. Check your local listings for your PBS affiliate near you. Only long-form interview on television. No commercials. It is an awesome show. She really gets to the heart of the matter. She's fantastic. And you can also follow her on Twitter at Margaret Hoover. Margaret Hoover. On Twitter. At Firing Line Show. At Firing Line Show. WNET in New York or any of your PBS affiliates or in every state across the country. And there you go. Margaret Hoover, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing what you're doing. Keep on doing the good work you're doing. And we'll get you back here again real soon, I hope. Chris, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. You keep it up and congratulations on your show. That's the great Margaret Hoover. I'll be right back. All right, hope you enjoyed Margaret Hoover. Make sure you follow her on Twitter, at Margaret Hoover. Her husband, John Avalon, is joining me next week. You know John from CNN. Looking forward to have him on. That'll be uh, a great show, a great episode, so make sure you tune in. Subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, The Aggressive Progressive with Chris Hahn. We are still growing very fast, so I do appreciate all the support. And Please share, 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 share. It's awesome. So, um... My debate with Carl Rove on Monday night, I um, I probably should have just said, yeah, you're on when he was talking about Texas. But, you know, the geeky statistician that I am sometimes was like, yeah, I want odds, man. Democrats haven't won Texas since 1976. Um, you should give me 3,000 to my 1,000 for our charities. So when I see him next week, I'll tell him he's on. Or maybe I'll do double or nothing with Florida because that makes it a little bit more even, <laughs> quite frankly. Uh, and, uh, that sounds good to me. Uh, I don't think that Trump's winning Florida. I don't think Trump's winning Texas, but Texas has this history of voter suppression that is really hard to shake and some weird voter rolls and voter rules. But I think Texas is in play. I, I just, 
The polling has been pretty consistent. Trump's down in the mid-40s. And mid-40s might be good if you're running nationally with his ability to pick off some states and uh, you know, and still be in the mid-40s nationally. But mid-40s in a state poll is not good if you're the incumbent. And Biden has been ahead in polls. He's been within one or two points in polls. Trump's never above 46% in any Texas polls. I think his number's more like his average is more around 45%. The real clear political average has him at a 0.1% advantage, the president. I don't think that's good. And I don't think things are getting better in Texas right now. So we'll see. I should have been a good pundit and just said, you're on. Carl got the better of me. He did refer to me as a major media figure and then said I was smoking drugs on TV. It was a funny debate. Uh, it is what it is. That's TV, baby. You got you to gotta roll with it. Have some fun. Do your thing. It's going to be a long couple of months I mean, the debate was about, you know, whether or not Trump's going to have a convention. I don't think that there's going to be a convention. I mean, I've been to a bunch of conventions. I know you all have been to conventions or you watch conventions. The average age of a delegate is usually in the mid-60s, right? I get it, a lot of staff people. I've never been there as a delegate. I've only been there as a staff person. I've worked at conventions. I've worked for politicians at conventions, been to conventions, kind of in, covered them in, in certain ways. I think that it's very irresponsible to have a convention. And, you know, look, the acceptance speech is a big moment in the campaign. And I get that Trump wants to have that moment. Biden should want to have that moment. But you're going to have to figure that out. You're going to have to have that moment and not put, you know, 15,000 people in danger. I don't think you'd get 15,000 people to show up. There aren't 15,000 delegates. You know, what you have at the convention is you have the delegates on the floor and maybe in the first level, and then the upper deck is filled with people who are coming to watch. And like Obama did in uh, 08, he had it. He had his acceptance speech at a bigger stadium where I think there was like 80,000 people there. They're going to have to find a way to make that moment without having people there. Maybe find a good backdrop somewhere, give a big speech. This is my acceptance speech. I don't know. And the delegates are going to have to meet virtually, I think. You can't go to Florida. 15,000 cases in Florida on Saturday, 12,000 on Monday. God knows what they're going to be today. It's, it's clearly in the middle of a pandemic that is out of control because of the incompetence of both Trump and Ron DeSantis. And the reason why I say Texas is in play is because I think Greg Abbott acted too late. And you got guys like Dan Patrick making it very clear that Republicans should not be in charge of anything. I mean, that's I think Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor of Texas, is one of the most irresponsible public officials in America next to Trump. I mean, Dan Patrick is fighting with his own governor of the same party. Because his governor is saying people should put on masks. And of course, the bizarre way that Trump is handing out opposition research on on, uh, Dr. Fauci. Uh, Look, I think he should just get it over with and fire Dr. Fauci and then let Dr. Fauci speak freely wherever he wants to go. I don't know that the president can directly fire Dr. Fauci. I think the Secretary of Health and Human Services has to fire him. But I think it's time for Fauci to be unleashed, right? Americans trust Dr. Fauci. I trust Dr. Fauci. Yeah, I got it. The science has evolved on COVID-19. And Dr. Fauci, like everybody else, was learning about this brand new virus as it developed. 
and may have said some things early on that are different today. But he has always been honest with the American people, unlike the president of the United States, who has been completely dishonest, continues to be dishonest to this day, made statements this afternoon about the virus, sorry, on Monday afternoon that were completely outrageous, completely devoid from reality, continues to say that the reason we have so many uh, cases is because we're testing more, which is just not true. It's not true. America, we need to stay safe. We need to follow the advice of scientists. We need to make sure that all of our friends and family are doing that. I know that we all have Trumpy family and friends who are skeptical of science. They, you know, this populism is all about pushing out the elites and and not caring what the experts think. But clearly, in the situation we're in right now, that has failed. So in the darkness of, of this moment with this pandemic and destroyed economy, hopefully we have seen the last of populism for a while in this country. Of course, economic despair is usually where populists tend to work their evil magic. So it could go either way this year. We have to make sure it goes the way of following science and following facts. I think this virus has now affected 1% of Americans directly and God knows how many indirectly, right? I mean, 1% have had the virus. But we all know somebody at this point, for the most part, who have had the virus. I would say 50% of Americans know somebody. Maybe that number's still too high. I don't know. But if 1% have had it, we probably know that 25 to 50% know somebody, or at least know somebody who knows somebody who had it. Like we said last week, Trump's being fact-checked by God. And every day, the facts get worse for him. And every day, he continues to lie to the American people. We got to push him back out. We got to push back and we got to push him out. We can't play anymore. Science has got to win the day. All right, I want to remind you, as always, to seek the truth, question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you will find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.